As we open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Eternal Father, who has spoken in various times and in various ways to your people in the past, but in these last days in your Son, the incarnate word, we pray that you will open the mouth of your servant to proclaim that word in the power of the Spirit. We pray that this same Spirit will open the hearts of its hearers here assembled to receive your holy gospel and write on their hearts your holy law, even as you have promised. All of this, gracious Father, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated, and please turn with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 4. Joshua, chapter 4. Using one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 180. Uh, Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible between uh, Deuteronomy and Judges. And before I left for vacation, we were considering a series through uh, the book of Joshua, we want to pick it up here at verse or at chapter 4. And so I'm going to read from chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, and read through the first verse of chapter 5. So Joshua chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, and reading through the first verse of chapter 5. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, And take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in the time to come, what do these stones, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood and they are there to this day. For the priest bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priest passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. 
And when the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up out of the, out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Thus far the reading of God. Oh, I want one more. Um, As soon as I stopped where I said I wouldn't. Um, As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Um, The scriptures are filled with passages that call on us to remember what God has done. Uh, One of the chief things that Scripture reminds God's people over and over again is how crucial it is for God's people not to forget what God has done, uh, to remember what God has done for them. Uh, The title of our sermon this evening, Come and See What God Has Done, is taken from one such psalm that reminds God's people not to forget what God has done, from Psalm 66, verses 5 through 9, where we read, Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever. Uh, God's people are called to remember the great saving work of God. This psalm in particular calls them to remember that saving work that he did at the Jordan River when he dried it up that they might cross over it on foot. It's important for God's people to remember these things. Um, And not just to remember them for ourselves, but to bring them into remembrance of the generations to come, that they may know what the Lord has done. So not only that we remember, but that we encourage the next generation to know and to remember. And that's one thing that Scripture does as well. tells us not just to remember, but to remember these things and to pass them along to the next generation uh, so they might know what God has done. And we see examples of that as well in our passage and in other passages in scripture as well. We could think of Psalm 78 verses 4, 6, and 7. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Um, A people who don't remember their God don't serve their God. Um, And this calling is to remember what God has done, to remember the saving works of God, that we would keep his commandments, remembering who he is and in grateful response, obey and keep his word. And so this passage is a wonderful passage. It's all about God's people giving 
being given a memorial by their God, that they might remember what God had done for them, that they might not just remember for themselves this great miracle, but might set up a remembrance that people would remember generations from then what God had done for his people. Uh, God establishes this memorial here for his people to remind them of his wondrous work among them and for them. And so this is a passage all about reminders. And we want to pay attention to three particular reminders that we have in this passage. We have a reminder of God's miracle. That's the first thing we are reminded of in this passage, a reminder of God's miracle. The second thing we're reminded of is God's people's identity. We have a reminder of his people's identity. And then finally, we have a reminder of our future. Uh, This remembrance of events past also reminds God's people that they have a future with their God. And so that's what we want to think about, a reminder of God's miracle, a reminder of his people's identity, and a reminder of our future. Uh, The first purpose that we're, we're told that Joshua acts in the way he does is to establish a reminder of God's miracle. And we kind of knew that God would have to come back to something he'd said in chapter 3, that left alone made no sense. Um, in, in chapter 3, verse 12, if we look back to that, we read that God was told Joshua, Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And so we were told about the selection of these twelve men, but we were not told what they were going to do. Um, and so that was just sort of left hanging out there. And we know our God doesn't waste his breath, that the Spirit has a purpose in everything he says. And so we knew that God had to come back and explain to us what the purpose of that was. And that's what we have in this text. We knew there was more of the story to tell. And now God tells what these people were for. They were selected for a purpose. Um, this was done at the Lord's command. Uh, we were told that in, in verses 2 and 3 of our story. This was done by the command of God to take one man from each tribe and to command each one of those men to take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's foot stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge for tonight. Um, So they're taking these rocks and we're told that they put them on their shoulders. So they should be sizable rocks that they take out of the water from where the priest stood. And they're going to take them with them from the river to where they camp. Um, And God tells us that he's doing this so that they would set up this memorial as a sign for his people. These stones are going to point people back to the reality of this miracle. And that's what their purpose is going to be in coming generations. That's what signs do. They point us back to realities. Um, Every time we talk about the Lord's Supper, we remind ourselves it's a sign. It's pointing us to something. Um, And we know that signs are not given to us for the purpose of serving themselves, but to point us to something else. Um, I always go to road signs when I think about this. You know, when we see a sign that says Santee three miles, we don't walk up to the sign and hug it and say, I'm in Santee. Um, We know that that doesn't mean you're in Santee. It means Santee is three miles that way. It's pointing to a reality, but it's not the reality. That's how road signs work. Uh, Spiritual signs work a similar way. They're not the reality. They point us to a reality. Uh, We don't think that the bread and wine in the Lord's Supper become the body and blood of Christ, but they point us to the body and blood of Christ. Uh, They are signs pointing to a reality. And that's what these stones are to be for God's people. They're to be a spiritual sign that points to a spiritual reality. 
so that God's people can look at those stones and know here are stones that were there. They were right there where the priests stood when the waters were stopped. They're from the middle of the Jordan River. And they were picked up by men, one of each tribe, and they were laid down here as a memorial. That these were the stones that were there. Right? There's something about reading about an event and then being at the event. When I was on vacation, I had the chance to go with my brother to the Gettysburg battlefield. Um, and what we learned about the Gettysburg battle from history, being raised by two history professors. You get a lot of history growing up. Um, and so we had learned a lot about Gettysburg, but there was something different about saying, here I am standing where Pickett's charge was headed. There I can see where they stood and where the federal lines were. There's something to being there and seeing that. And when you see something that's a monument to the actual reality, that that's what God's people could do. They could say, these were stones that were there under the Jordan River, where the priest's feet stood. They marked that place. They were really there. And now they've been brought to where we are camping to remind us of that reality. To remind us of that reality so that we don't forget. So that we don't forget. Um, there are memorials all over Gettysburg. Um, and it's to all kinds of units, all kinds of people. And they were set up so that people wouldn't forget who was there. Um, the people who served and who, who did things there. That's what memorials are. They're so that people don't forget. And I like what one commentator said about this passage. He reminded us, the greatest enemy of faith may be forgetfulness. That we just forget what our God has done for us. That it becomes so commonplace that we don't really remember it. And we don't really remember the significance of it. We say all the time as Christians that Jesus came to die for our sins. But it's easy to forget who Jesus is. And it's easy to forget what a sacrifice that was. Forgetfulness, I think, can be a great enemy of faith. And so why does God give us signs and why does God give us memorials? It's so that we will not forget. Because it's so dangerous to forget. What was the problem with the wilderness generation that died in the wilderness? They forgot. God's word tells us that very clearly. We read that in Psalm 106, verses 11 through 13. At the Red Sea, the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise, but they soon forgot his works. They forgot his works. And the psalm goes on to, to recite the sad history of the people of God in the wilderness. And we come to 106 verses 21 and 22. They forgot God their Savior who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Wonderful, awesome, and they forgot. And they disobeyed and they died. Forgetfulness is so dangerous for God's people. And thank God we have a God who is constantly raising memorials for us so that his people will not forget him, so that we will remember him. We will remember how awesome he is, how wonderful he has worked salvation for his people so that we will not forget but keep his commands. And that's what this is to be for them. It's to be an eternal remembrance, Joshua says. Uh, he says in verse 6, 
so that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever, a remembrance. You see how it it made the, the, the parents remember. Parents would have to remember what the stones were for so that they could tell the children. Um, The children were to be brought into that remembrance. And what did God want his people to do? He wanted them not to lose sight of the might of their God. How God's people can be thrown into despair and disarray when we forget the might of our God. When we stop looking to heaven and seeing the might of the God who sits enthroned and we look at the earth and see the might of our enemies that are arrayed against us, we can become overwhelmed with this sense there's no hope for the church in the world. There's no hope for the church in the world. That's precisely when you've lost sight of the might of God. When we have a clear vision of the might of our God, we don't say there's no hope for the church in the world. We say there's no hope for the world against the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church that Christ is building. They cannot withstand the might of their God. God's people are to be reminded of that might, the might of their God. I love that God continually reminds us that our children are in his mind. Uh, We worry a lot about the generation to come. I think probably every generation of the church worries about how it will be for the generation that follows us. Um, And it's so good to be reminded that God has your children in mind, that God takes thought for them, and God establishes memories for them. Uh, Boys and girls, it should be a wonderful thing to know that God has you in mind. He doesn't forget you. He doesn't overlook you until you're old enough to be like your mom and dad in church. He's, He's thinking about you even now. He takes time to speak to you and thinks about you. And what did he want those children to know? About the might of God. That when the ark passed over, symbolizing the Lord who is enthroned uh, above his cherubim, the waters ran away from him. The way they ran away from him at the Red Sea, the way they ran away from him at the Jordan, because of his might, because they feared the living God. That's how Psalm 114 teaches us to think of these things. And when God came, the waters parted. And these stones right here in front of us, kids, were washed, the waters washed over them and we could pick them up right out of the riverbed because there was no more water and we could carry them here and pile them up. One man from each tribe, right? Think about all the questions that children ask when you tell them something. Walk by, what is that pile of stones? Well, that's a pile of stones that came up out of the Jordan. Well, who brought them up? Well, one man from each tribe. How many tribes do we have? We have 12. What tribe are we part of? We're part of the tribe of Judah. Well, one man from our tribe picked up one of, one of those rocks is for us. Symbolizes our tribe. Maybe the, the parents would have fun trying to decide which, which stone do you think is ours? Which one was from our tribe? But it symbolizes all the people and it would be a reminder of the miracle, the might of their God that prevailed for them. This is why God gives us reminders of his work on the cross in the bread and wine and the water of baptism um, to remind us of the might of our God. 
That Christ himself alone interceded for his people, made atonement for his people, laid down his life as the sacrifice that finally took away sins. That we have forgiveness of his sins and eternal life because of what he accomplished there. It's a reminder of the might of our Savior, that our God is a saving God. And it's to remind us of the miracle he worked by his cross. The blood and the spirit that cleanse our sins. The true food and drink to life eternal that is our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't want us to forget. He wants us to remember. To remember God's miracle. And then also to to remember the the identity of his people that we see in this passage. Um, We are reminded in this passage not just of God's miraculous power, but of God's covenant faithfulness to his people. Um, this, this memorial reminds them powerfully of their identity as the covenant people of God, his own dearly loved people. And this story marks them out as that, that covenant people. Uh, what are we reminded of in this story as we think about what it tells us and reminds us of about God's people? Well, the first thing that they are an obedient people. This is such a contrast to the wilderness generation. Um, who were told to do things and immediately would start to grumble about them. Um, What happens in this story? It's a wonderful sequence of people being told to do something and doing it. Without grumbling, without back talk, without asking, why do I got to pick up a big stone out of the river? No one's asking these questions. They're just doing what they're told to do. They are an obedient people. Israel sets up the memorial that they're commanded to set up. It's interesting how those 12 men are spoken of in verse 8. Right? It's not in the 12 people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded, but the people of Israel did as Joshua commanded. These 12 men represented the people. They represented the obedience of the people. They did what they were told. And all of them did what they were told. And it's as if all of Israel is doing what it's told. All the people are obeying God. It's a different kind of people, isn't it, that's passing into the promised land than was wandering in the wilderness. They do as they're commanded. Joshua does as he's commanded. Um, one commentator, as I was looking through, said, you know, Joshua sometimes is not top of our list as, in terms of heroes of the faith because he's a kind of subtle character. Whatever he's told to do, he does. And sometimes that's not flashy to think about as some of the other heroes of the faith who did great and wonderful works, but it is something to be someone of whom you can say, whenever God told him to do something, he did it. He is a great hero of the faith for that reason, and Joshua did what he was told to do. He set up the memorial stones where they encamped, as God commanded, and even set up a little memorial in the middle of the river, as God had commanded. We might ask, why would you do that? When the river comes back, won't it just cover these stones? Uh, well, probably at flood stage it would, but maybe when it's, it's summertime and the river isn't running as high, maybe you could still see those stones. And there again, maybe you could pass by as, as a family and say, you see where those stones are peeking up? That's exactly where the priest stood when the waters were separated. Um, but Joshua does what God tells him to do. The people obey, Joshua obeys, um, Gad, Manasseh, and Reuben obey. Um, now, maybe again, we're not so tuned in and remember our history really well. It's like, why are they singled out? 
Um, Well, they're singled out because their possession was on the other side of the Jordan. They didn't need to cross over the Jordan to get into their promised rest. Their promised rest was on the other side. And when that promised land was given to them, it was given to them on a condition. And the condition was this. When your brothers go in to fight for their land and their possession, you're not going to stay here in peace and safety on the other side of the river. You're going to go with them. And you won't rest in your possession until they rest in theirs. And at that time, that was the, the covenant that Moses put them under. And Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh said, we will do that. We will not rest in our possession till all of our brothers have their possession. And what do we read about them? Here they are marching across the Jordan. They're covenant keepers. That's the importance of this. They're obeying what they said to Moses that they would do, and they come across the river 40,000 strong. You see how that obedience must have been an encouragement to God's people. Here are faithful covenant keepers. They will not rest in peace until their brothers and sisters rest in peace. And are at peace on the other side of the Jordan, enjoying the rest that God has promised. Only then will they go back and enjoy their rest. This is a picture of complete obedience. That's what this passage should remind us of, the greatness of the obedience of this people. It reminds them that's who God's people are at their core. They are an obedient people. Second thing we see about them is that they are an awestruck people. They are a people who appreciate what is happening in their midst. Um, we read in, in verse 14 that they are in awe of Joshua. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. That's what God had promised he would do for Joshua in Joshua chapter 3, verse 7. How that must have been an encouragement to Joshua. If we were in Joshua's place, we might think to ourselves, how am I going to replace Moses? Are people going to trust me the way they trust Moses? But here they are, an awestruck people. They are in awe of what the Lord has done. And the Lord uses that to exalt Joshua in the eyes of his people and to encourage them that as he was with Moses, so he would be with Joshua. It was great encouragement to God's people. Uh, it's a very simple formula that leads to this awe. Joshua issues the Lord's commands. God's people obey them. God does awesome things and demonstrates that the word as spoken by Joshua is from him. And they are in awe of that. They are an awestruck people. They allow the, the miraculous work of the Lord to, to bring in them that, that attitude they should have. We had a, a professor at seminary who used to sort of complain that we use the word awesome too much, particularly in Southern California. Um, it's awesome. Um, and he would say, you know, only God's work is awesome. Um, and that's what this people realizes, the awesomeness of God's work. They're an obedient people. They're an awestruck people by the awesomeness of their God. And they are a delivered people. That's what this passage reminds us of. They were delivered from death by their God. Um, and we see that in, and it must have become a, in abundantly clear to them when the waters rushed back across the river. Um, they had seen the river raging in its full flood, right? Probably about 100 feet across, 12 feet deep, running steeply and quickly um, as it did. A, a raging river, and they'd seen that raging river been cut off. And then they had crossed, we're told, 
in haste. I think I'd have crossed in haste too. Um, You don't want to be in the middle of the raging river if the waters come back. Um, And so we're told that the people cross the river in haste. Um, You don't want to spend any longer in a a raging riverbed uh, than you have to. It's not that you don't trust the Lord, but you know the danger. Right? I remember being once at a, a train crossing and uh, it was right by a stoplight and the stoplight turned green and I started to go and just as I started to go, it went yellow, red, the lights started going off on the railroad crossing and the gates came down. And I thought, okay, but no train came. And I sat there looking and no train came and then the light turned green, the gates went up and I thought, I'm not sure I want to go. Um, and so I kind of creeped up till I could see where the train, train might be coming and I gunned it across. I'm not going to dawdle there, right? After all this happens. Well, that's kind of how Israel must have been. Like, let's not dawdle, kids. Let's move it across the riverbed. Um, Because they know it's not a place to stay. Um, Only the grace of God preserving them uh, keeps them safe. Because as soon as the ark steps up out of the riverbed, what are we told? The waters return and they flood their banks again. Um, That's one of those descriptions in the Bible that you feel like it doesn't quite do justice to what happened. These piled up waters all of a sudden raced back down right where they'd been before and where dry ground had just been, a raging river has replaced it. And what must that reminded people who walked across that river? It's only by the grace of God we were delivered from death. Um, But for the grace of God, but for the presence of the king of all the earth, the waters surely would have consumed us. But for the grace of God, we would have had no way over this river or through this river. It's only by the grace of God that we have been delivered. Um, We can think of the words of Psalm 124, verses 2 through 5. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. That must have caused God's people to meditate on the protection of God in the midst of certain death when they saw those rivers sweep back across. It reminded them that they were a delivered people. Um, And if the events of that day didn't remind them that they were a delivered people, then the day itself should have reminded them that they were a delivered people. Uh, The day this takes place is significant. We read about that in verse 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first day of the month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. The problem is we don't know our Hebrew calendars. So when this happens, we go, okay, you know, great, mark it off. I don't know. I don't know what to do with that date. But it's a significant date. It's a significant date because this was the date that God had commanded his people to choose a Passover lamb. This is the beginning of the, of the Passover process. This would have been the day you would choose the lamb for the Passover. And then days later, you would slaughter that lamb and celebrate the Passover feast. This is the day God's people were to choose that Passover lamb. And I think all of that together was intentionally done to make them think about the significance of these events. Because the choosing of the Passover lamb in Egypt was the beginning of the end of their slavery. It was the event that put an end finally to Pharaoh's resistance, that put an end finally to their slavery, that was their rescue by their God. It was the beginning of the end. Um, And I think this signaled to God's people that this was a new beginning. 
a beginning of the rest that he'd promised to them, a beginning of the rest that they would enjoy and they would celebrate for the first time the Passover in the promised land. And we'll read about that in the next chapter. We shouldn't miss the significance of that. Where God had promised, I will take you out from here and I will bring you in. And they'd been brought out, but now they're being brought in. It couldn't help but remember, remind them of the deliverance of their God. And that this is who God's people are. And it's, a good, it's good news for us because even though the times have changed, the promises have become clearer and greater in the Lord Jesus Christ, our God has not changed. The God who is a deliverer, who rescues his people out of difficulty, is still a savior God who is saving us by the might of his own hand in his, in his son Jesus Christ. And he is the God who promises to bring us into rest. And he will do that. He will not fail to bring his people into the rest that he's promised us. And it doesn't matter what obstacles lay between us and that rest because our God is mighty. And there is no obstacle he cannot clear away for his people so that we can enter the rest that he's promised. This is still who God's people are. I hope we never forget that we are that people. That we are a people who've been delivered from death a death that would surely have consumed us if not for our awesome Savior. I hope we're a people who stay in awe of what Christ has done for us. Uh, And I hope we're a people who are spurred to obedience when we remember the grace and the greatness of our God, Um, that we remember our identity. But this passage also reminds God's people finally that we have a future. This isn't just to be a remembrance of things past, for God's people. It's also to guarantee God's people and remind them that they have a future. Uh, there are some people who would say, you know, we can't really compare ourselves to Israel. We're not Old Testament Israel. We're the New Testament church. We're two different people. Um, but this passage teaches us in a powerful way that God's people always ought to think of themselves as part of the people of the past. Um, that in the present, we are to think of ourselves as the people of the past. Um, and that their story is our story. God does that very powerfully by this reminder to ensure that children are taught that your parents' story is your story. Um, That the story of what God did for his people in ages past is not just their story, but your story of what God's doing now. Listen to how parents are to talk to their children in verses 21 to 23. When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stone means? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. Notice how the father is to say to the child, the Lord dried up the Jordan River for you until you passed over. As the Lord your God did it to the Red Sea, which he dried up, for us until we passed over. And you can just say, well, yeah, wouldn't that just be what happened to them? Aren't we just recording a historic fact? No, we're not. Because this people did not see the Jordan River or the Red Sea. Sorry, the Red Sea. This generation did not see the Red Sea parted. That generation died in the wilderness. right? Except for Joshua and Caleb, nobody saw the Red Sea parted. That generation is all dead. 
Numbers 14 tells us that. God said in Numbers 14, 22 to 23, None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have yet put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And yet, what do fathers say to their children? You didn't see the Jordan River dried up, but God dried it up for you. And we didn't see the Red Sea dried up, but God dried it up for us. What, what is that message conveying from, parent, from the parents to the children? This story is our story. The story of what happened there was your story. God did that for you. Not just for people a long time ago, but for you. God dried it up for you. God dried it up for us. That's significant. So that no matter when God's people are talking about these events, we're not talking about them. We're talking about us. This is what God does for us. This is what God does for his people. You see how this is a powerful testimony to the fact that there's a unity of the people of God from generation to generation? And that children are included in that covenant people? They're not, they're not told, God will do, has done this for you if you grow up to profess your faith and you know, then you're included. No, it's, it's as if you were there and you crossed. Just as if it was as if we were there at the Red Sea and we crossed. You are just as much a part of this people and you need to know that God did this for you. So that you would pass out of a, a time of wandering and sojourning and find rest. That's what God wanted for you. That's what God has done for every generation of his people. Open the way so that we might find rest. There's a covenant continuity in the people of God. And what belonged to them belongs to us. And that's what guarantees that the present generation is not just connected to the past, but that the present generation has a future. That's what God was teaching his people through this as well. To give them assurance for the future. Right? What was the purpose of all this? This remembrance, we're told in verse 24, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Right? Verse, chapter 5, verse 1 tells us, mission accomplished for the Canaanites. They realized that the hand of the Lord was mighty. They are terrified. They had already heard of the mighty things he'd done on the other side of the Jordan, and maybe they were thinking to themselves, well, at least the Jordan's in full flood. We won't have a fight till this summer. And all of a sudden you find out, no, they crossed it anyway. You can see why they're terrified, why the peoples of the earth know that the Lord's hand is mighty. Um, people will know that when the Lord Jesus returns in glory, and they will weep on account of him. Um, they will know that he's mighty. But what are the children to be told? God not only wants the peoples of the earth to know that he's mighty, but what does he want for you? So that you may fear the Lord your God forever. What does God want for children? What does God want for his people in every generation? Boys and girls, whether you're you're little children listening to this or adults who are way past the little children phase, what does God want from you? That you would fear the Lord your God all your days. 
And that always stands in the Old Testament just as the New Testament expression of putting your faith and trust in the Lord. To trust in this Lord who's mighty. To trust in this Lord who has always been the Savior of his people in every generation. That's what God wants for his people. The people of the world would know his might, but that his people might fear him. Put their trust in this mighty God. And know that this God will save us as he's been a savior to all his people in every generation. And if they had no reason to doubt that in their time, how could we doubt that living as we do on this side of the cross of Jesus Christ? To know that we have a God who is a savior and who has saved us by the blood of his son and who calls all who hear this message to put their faith and trust in that mighty savior. And to know that he will clear away every obstacle in your path until you achieve and arrive at the rest that he's promised. Praise God that he is mighty and that he is a mighty savior for all who put their faith and trust in him. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, how thankful we are to see and to remember in this miracle that was done at the Jordan River what you did for us, that you have included us in that people of God from of old, that their story is our story and that you parted the waters for them and for us, that you have been a savior God to your people in every generation. We thank you that in these last days you've revealed your glory to us in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he has parted the way that stood between us and the promised rest, that he has destroyed all the danger by his finished work on the cross, that he is coming again in glory to shepherd us into that eternal life with him forever. Help us to trust in those truths for ourselves and help us to continue to bear witness to his grace and glory to a dark world that we might say to the world and especially to the generation of young people that come after us, come and see what Christ has done who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. To him be the glory forever and ever. Hear us, for we pray in his name. Amen.